Welcome back to the Deliberate Leaders Podcast. I am your host and executive coach, Allison Dunn. I'm very excited to introduce our guest today. We have with us Sophie Wade, who is a work futurist, international keynote speaker, and author of Empathy Works, the key to competitive advantage of the new era of work. Sophie is the founder and workforce innovation specialist at Flexcell Network, which is a future of work consultancy that provides advisory work, transformative workshops to help companies future-proof their work environment and attract, engage, and retain their multi-generational and distributed talent. That's hard to say all in one sentence. <laughs> I know. Sorry about that. <laughs> That's okay. Sophie, uh, welcome. Welcome to Deliberate Leaders. We're so happy to have you here with us today. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. I just love to kick these off with a deliberate conversation. What would be your number one leadership tip for our listeners? Listen, I I really think that we are moving from a command and control. I say sort of command and control to coach. And really it's less about ego of the person than the organization. And when we're sort of thinking about culture and, uh, you know, connectivity and, and those type of things. And so really listening to your team, people above you, but also the people in your team to really get a sense of how you can best lead them. It's more about oversight than, than sort of direction these days. Um, so that's what I, <clears throat> listening um, really, you know, connects with communicating better and all those different things. So that's would be my first, the first one I would say. Fantastic. If I was going to give a superpower skill to any of my clients, my family members, my children, it would be (laughs) the ability to really listen to what someone else is saying Mm. and um, be in the moment of the words and what's being said, um, Mm -hmm. even if it's uh, physically, you know, in some way. So such a great tip. Thank you very much. Um, So our, um, our topic on the table today for this podcast is the future of work, empathy in the workplace. I am an empath, so I feel like it's something that is just incredibly natural for me. And so I'm just curious, is empathy something that can be learned? Yes, it can. And I I don't address it much in the book, but empaths uh, certainly can have a challenge in stopping people from really draining their energy or, or potentially bulldozing them um, because it's it's a question of boundaries. So, uh, so I feel for you <laughs> as an empath because you can really take on, you know, other people's problems and challenges and, um, but yes, it can be learned. It is something that is really innate to us. There's a, a, a Dutch primatologist uh, called Franz de Waal and he, talks about the fact that it's sort of second nature to us. We just don't, we haven't used it in our professional lives. We use it all the time in our personal lives, um, but we don't, haven't typically used that in our professional lives. It's been much more transactional. So, you know, I think about going from transactional to more experiential and thinking uh, leadership and management and, and, and cultures where we're really thinking about what the relationship is, how we're, how the other person and the interaction goes rather than just of, you know, the being words, you know, something exchanges hands or, or you know, this is like, a, you know, kind of like a deal to be made. It is much more thinking about the long term effect of the interaction and that and tends to be really, truly the most beneficial way to handle it. Okay. 
Is there a go-to question as like a fellow consultant or coach as to have someone, if they've made a statement that is more transactional and less relational, relational and very matter of fact, how you can encourage them to then shift into like long-term impact empathy? I think one way is to ask more open questions. Um, So, you know, asking and checking, particularly when you're, when you're doing the listening, asking to check that you did understand what the other person said, that you're not assuming that you knew what they said, because that's really, again, what do I think? What's my reaction? What do, what would I say in your shoes? No. What, what would I say if I were you in your shoes? And so listening, asking sort of open questions. So it's basically a not a question that doesn't lead to a yes or no answer. If it, if it ends up being more open, like, so what else might there be? Or did you, is this what you meant? Or, you know, really trying to draw out more information or, and, and, and checking and leading. Sort of, it's, it's really a question of keeping that conversation going. That ends up helping, you know, build, uh, build longer term interactions and relationships um, between people. I um, fantastic. And those are great go-to questions. So I appreciate that. Um, when we talk about, you know, just generally um, how, how people deal with their emotions, you know, some people just simply don't find it easy to deal with their own and or the emotions of others. Um, I've seen it scenario after scenario. So um, does your book um, give some guidance on how to help them improve the results or the empathy and then the handling of the emotions, whether it's theirs? someone else's. Yeah. So, you know, I do say that empathy starts with you. I mean, it's about other people, but it starts with you. And unless you have an understanding of yourself and how you handle your emotions, then it's going to be very hard. Or is it like this is first step? It is something that you need to do in order to really empathize well with other people. I think recognizing when there's an elevated emotional state, your own, you know, your, are your cheeks feeling flushed? Do you feel agitated? You know, recognizing when you have those um, some emotional volatility and taking steps, which I do talk about in terms of breathing, box breathing, to just bring that emotional level down. So sort of having some control over that. And then obviously part of empathy is really recognizing emotion in others and then checking that you got it right. Like, you know, somebody might look, like they're frowning but it could be it could be that they have indigestion it could be who knows what it might be it might be a trouble with their internet who but so checking so that one you know you're detecting and decoding um but making sure that you are actually correct about that so i think the those are sort of elements in terms of understanding emotion yes i did actually in the book I, i i talk about a story when i gave a big speech about empathy. The first one was really the headliner. And it was a lot of technology. It was a lot of developers, software developers, uh, people in the software industry. And a guy came up to me at the end and he was seemed relatively panicked about the idea of having to, to handle a lot of emotions. And he has 10 direct reports. And it was all overwhelming to him. And I just said, you know, it, it's okay. You don't have to feel into it every single moment and with every single person but if you just ask 
you know, ask about people's kids or hobbies or, you know, just the, the first step of asking, checking in with them, understanding how they think about the world. So you don't have to go all the way, but a lot of going, a lot of the way will really help the interaction um, be better and the other person feel valued and heard and all the rest of it. So, you know, it doesn't, for people who do find that sort of emotional connection harder, totally get it, totally understand, and it's okay. <laughs> I often find that the way you start the conversation is the way it goes. So if you want it to go good, you start with, you know, something personal and something warm and inviting to open that, open that up. Yeah. So uh, future of work, um, you know, this is obviously a super hot topic um, nowadays. And um, I'm just curious, uh, uh, where are you in, um, in suggesting whether we accommodate employees' flexible work requests um, and then helping people understand whether or not they're feeling taken advantage of or whether they will take advantage of that? So... The future of work, which is generally mostly technology driven, there have been some societal developments. For example, now we have 66%, I think it is, of families with kids have both parents working. So there are some family developments like that. You know, a lot of single parents with kids, <clears throat> single parents. And so we need some more flexibility baked into the system or, or enabled in the system to allow for our new sort of societal uh, makeup, demogra demographic makeup. So that's one thing. But with the bar has been raised, we're, we're now working at a faster pace, there's so much more technology and <clears throat> work is also not linear and static and easily predictable for 10 years out as it used to be. So we're working in different ways. We're having to work much more closely together. And as a result, we need to understand each other more in order to be effective. So the bar has been raised on workers. So if I'm a leader and I want my people, my team uh, and my group, my division, whatever it is, to <clears throat> engage, to really step up to the plate and do the work and give, not just go through the motions, but do give their best ideas um, and be thinking about work when they're in the shower, like really, you know, be engaged in what they're doing. I'm going to need to help them perform at their best. And we now understand much more clearly. I mean, people were working remotely and, and had more flexible hours prior to the pandemic. This is not, you know, something completely new. But now we can see that there are different options and we can work differently and do different tasks better in different places. Uh, and we're all different and that's the key. So it's not even about working from home, it's about giving people the opportunity to try and work out and helping them work out where and how and when they work best and what they you know, might be doing and what skills they need to be using so that we can all you know, meet that bar that has been raised. So absolutely, I definitely think that flexibility, which also includes people who have fixed place jobs, fixed location jobs, and they can be given flexibility too. It isn't necessarily obviously working from home, but they can have, you know, different hours. They can maybe share tasks and, and there are other ways to, to give them more autonomy over their work. As for will people take advantage? There are people who are lazy in the office. Those people are probably going to be the same people who are going to be lazy at home. Now, that said, 
So those people, you know, they, they need to be encouraged. And sometimes it's a question of they're in the wrong job. So there are people who just hate their job. And if you can try and find a job that suits them, they may not be as resistant or, or, or just, you know, hesitating in, in putting any effort into it because it's just not their thing. So that's one thing. I also think that uh, when we can, you know, really lean into the different aspects of work where we can be helped to, to be applying our skills and really, you know, looking towards our strengths and doing stuff that we enjoy more, we tend to just do a lot more work and that, uh, and, you know, do better work too. And that can, is really helped by being in the location that suits each of us best. But we also haven't known, for, for the most part, when we didn't have any options about where we could work, we didn't try and find out. I mean, consultants, entrepreneurs obviously do know, freelancers you know, typically do know. Um, I imagine with being a coach and, and, and you've been in many different surroundings that you know, have known for years a lot about how you work best and, and where you don't. So I think helping a lot of people who have been only working in the office help them succeed is very important and it is harder to manage people who are working in different environments and if you have a distributed team so I think that is something that needs definitely some coaching. <laughs> yes, I would agree. Um, can you explain um, some successful ways to think about the hybrid working model and um, how you can tie that directly back to business performance. So the, I think if you have, if you focus on outcomes, if in a team you focus on outcomes and there's a lot of clarity about exactly what each person is supposed to be doing. One of the things prior to, to the future of work really, we haven't really focused on how we work. We were all in the same boat we were all you know had to be at the office had to do this had to do that and so we didn't kind of sort of say well how you know when do I work best am I you know am I totally asleep at nine o'clock in the morning on a Monday morning meeting which is why I'm just like never on it how can I do my best work and so if we focus on results and we have we pay attention to both ourselves and the people that we're working with I might say well you know Mary you know, she's, she really, you know, might, maybe she knew, needs to go, you know, or, or John maybe needs to go pick up kids, you know, uh, Mary isn't, isn't great in the morning. Let's all try and work out how and where, where and when our work, we can, we, we can sort of adjust for how we're going to perform at our best. And when we're focused on results, that is one way to help nudge people to doing that and talking to them and sort of sharing what they have observed and when they have been, you know, find that they've been in the flow. So there's a lot of uh, need to, to pay attention to when you work best. For example, when I was writing my book, I became very aware that the best times for me for writing were between nine, six and nine in the morning and also in the, at the end of the day. And the reason was, is that even if I had my email shut down, which I, I mostly did, uh, I would be distracted once it became nine o'clock because I knew that people, that people would be sending me emails. So I, my brain started thinking, even if I didn't have the ping and all the rest of it, I knew 
that things were going on. I was like, oh my God, we know what we know, what's gonna be coming in, what do I have to be, you know, be thinking about? And I just stopped concentrating in the same way. So really recognizing where and when and how that you're gonna do your best work and and you know, and when you're working with others, what the best way to work with them, you know, in terms of benefiting from asynchronous and synchronous um, in tools and, and, and modes can really help us be more effective. And then when we focus, when we do focus on results, it allows people to focus on the outcomes rather than where people are. That's, that's great guidance. Um, who did you write uh, the book for? And congratulations on on the launch of it, actually. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, it's it's for really it's focused on 28 to 48 year olds, really. Basically the rising leaders. I think it's harder for people who have been managing and leading their companies and their divisions for decades to really change how they've been working. And not that I don't think they can't be empathetic, absolutely, but this is really about a mindset. It's about looking, thinking about each employee individually and really trying to nurture them to do their best work. So if somebody has the mindset to, to be thinking about work like that, to be thinking about their team members, they've been doing that likely already. However, everything is changing so much. So the book is really trying to give a framework not just about sort of teaching empathy it's really about looking at the the future of work and, and the scenario that we're in and how to how to frame that so i talk about the customer journey and the employee journey as a sort of human-centric system so one is external but it also it does it also include everybody in your ecosystem so it's, one is external and the other one is internal, but everything needs to be consistent in how you're treating people. You can't just be treating, we all know that now, that you can't just be treating your customers well and then you know not be treating your employees well. It just, it just doesn't work like that. So that's really sort of the framework. It's about thinking about things and having a human-centric orientation and then utilizing the, the fantastic and sophisticated technologies that we have now to be able to work as effectively and efficiently as possible. Um, is the customer journey, I mean, I understand that they're individualistic, right? It can't just be one, um, one plan fits all, but is that actually like, would you suggest a company map those out so that they're clear on what that is or be fluid? So the customer journey is, I look at, slightly different to the employee journey, the customer journey really is a way, uh, a very powerful way of focusing the entire company on how to serve the customer. And now we can actually focus on a customer of one, right? It used to be this huge blanket, you know, a TV ad or whatever, and now it can be something that's very specific. And we could actually recognize the person in the street, like, oh yeah, you know, that's them. So it's, that's a key way of not having marketing and sales and technology and all the different elements of the business it's trying to work out how to serve the customer in different ways because it could get extremely fragmented. So if we're all, if everybody, every division is really 
looking at how best to serve the customer. And yes, it certainly can be changing because new technologies come in, because our customers are changing their behaviors. And the person who we were serving in 2019 may be very different to who we're actually going after, who's our target audience now. So there's been a lot of changes. And I know that my behaviors have changed over the course of the last two years. You know, I, I used to go to the gym a lot. Now I don't. Now I'm kind of thinking, well, maybe I should. You know, I don't know. So if you're so if I'm somebody's customer and in obviously many different ways, how is my behavior changing? So that does need to be fluid in the sense of not moving around a lot, but everybody really agreed on on what it means and how best to do it and then keep iterating, you know, as we understand and, and, and checking in, particularly because you know, we're, we're in a period of inflection, a lot of change is happening. Um, and it also could be so, so needing to sort of do those iterations also because, you know, your competitor might suddenly implement some new technology that's come along. Then your customer expects that from you, then you have to implement it. What does that change for you? So there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, so I think, so, so that, that customer journey is something that is very specific to each company, depending on where the people are located, where the customers are located, how, how they're going to do it. So it's a very interesting, there's, there's a lot to it. It's, it's, it's a really interesting way of being able to hone everybody in on uh, and, and figure out the best way to do it. And that, and that may have changed a lot over the last couple of years. Is there a structure for that inside the book? I focus more actually on the employee journey, but I look at the customer journey. I talk, there's a lot about um, empathy for sales professionals in terms of how to be, uh, you know, interacting all the way along the different elements. Um, but I'm not focused on the customer journey. In fact, there's very little written on the customer journey, but but it is, uh, it is a very helpful way to as i said to to focus people in but there's a lot of there's a lot of of uh, helpful uh um information about um selling with empathy because that's one of my big courses on linkedin that uh over 400,000 people have taken yeah, that's fantastic. I was, um, I saw that in your bio and as far as like numbers, 450,000 people going through that training is pretty incredible. That's a, an amazing resource. And I'm going to include that in the show notes. Um, Sophie, what, um, tell us about your podcast and then what is the best way for our listeners to connect with you? Thank you. Uh, so my podcast, Transforming Work with Sophie Wade, it's really tr- connecting with people and helping sort of asking them to share whatever pioneering, interesting, innovative way that is relevant to the future of work, that is they have transformed what they're doing, how they're doing it, that is going to help anybody listening to be more effective. So it could be about asynchronous working. It could be about how to develop deeper relationships. It could be thinking for companies, thinking about uh, how to deal with the great resignation, both for from a sort of you know employer point of view, as well as talking about the employees. So, it, and, and I just recently interviewed somebody about holacracy, which is this you know very very interesting self management, self yeah self management uh, practice. So it, it is really how to think about things differently now that at this moment that we are needing to forge a new way forward, craft a new design, design our work differently, design our, our companies differently. And so it's just supposed to be, it's it's a huge range of, of, of different perspectives, but all 
helping people try and sort of navigate this 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 changing world. So um, Empathy Works is available online. It is an ebook as well. I also I narrate the the audiobook, and um, you can find more information about that at sophiewade.com. And my company is Flexel Network. F L E X C E L Network.com. Outstanding. Sophie, I am encouraging my listeners to go and listen to your podcast and follow you and just so appreciate our conversation today. Thank you. Such a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. 